In this episode, I sat down with Tom Ellison to talk about his experience struggling with depression as a male varsity athlete. Listen to this episode if you want to learn how stigma impacted him and what prompted him to speak up. Enjoy. Okay, so this is episode 26, and I'm here with Tom Ellison, and do you want to introduce yourself first? Uh, My name's Tom Ellison. (laughs) Uh, I used to play volleyball for Queens for five years. I graduated last year with a Bachelor of Phys Ed, and I'm back at school this year in Teachers College. Cool. So, I mean, we've met for the first time, but I mean, just to start off, I watched the, the video that you posted on YouTube about your story and about the stigma and about, you know, how challenging it was to speak up and, and after you spoke up and that kind of thing. So I was just wondering if you could share a little bit about your experience with mental illness and kind of give an overview of your story. Yeah. So, uh, I guess it all started like, you know, when I was a kid, just like for a lot of other people, it was the anxiety thing kind of started when I was a kid, like as an athlete, like you had a big game the next day mm-hmm. and you do like your whole routine to not for the night because you gotta go to bed early for this game and you sit in bed and you start getting all these thoughts in your head that like you don't really want to have kind of mm. thing and it was like I'm sure everybody gets that and it was kind of like you know that was I guess when the anxiety started and then in grade 11 I was diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and a quarter of people with ADHD are comorbid with these anxiety and depression disorders so it's like Back then, I guess not a lot of people were talking about it, and it, like, it kind of wasn't perceived as like this right. big deal. So it was kind of just like the whole anxiety and depression thing didn't really come out, I guess, and it was just like, it was, the doctors mostly focused on the ADHD part, and I kind of like, I guess deep down I knew like there's more to this than just the ADHD, like there's mm. something else going on, but I didn't right. really speak up about it. I just kind of thought like, oh, this is normal, like this is what everyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think in my first year at Queens, it became really apparent, like, something's not right. Like, they're just, like, sad all the time. And, like, some days, like, getting out of bed was the biggest struggle. And yeah, for sure. Like, like, daily chores, like, taking a shower or brushing your yeah. teeth or something were so exhausting. And it was right. just like, man, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and then my second year, like, kind of hit this super low point, like, didn't really care about school, like, wasn't doing any studying, I was kind of just, like, hanging out in bed all day, like, isolating myself from my friends, isolating myself from my teammates, like, not putting as much effort into volleyball as I should have been, mm-hmm. and it was, like, one day in second year, I hit the super low point, and tried to take my life, and it was just, like, I guess it was, it was a bad experience, but at the same time, it was a super eye-opening experience, and it was just, like, like, like a lot of people that do that, your first reaction to it is this immediate feeling of regret. Like, man, I did not want to do that. What was I thinking? And it's just kind of eye-opening, like, yeah, I want to be here. Like, this isn't right. Like, I need to get myself help. I need to be good. I wish I'd listened to myself then. I wish I had said, like, yeah, I need to get help, but I was kind of, like, embarrassed about it. Like, there was still, like, no one was really talking about it. It wasn't really this, like, open thing in the world. Right. And I was kind of just like, I'll just keep this to myself. Maybe it won't ever happen again. And like three years down the road. So even after you like even after I didn't really tell anyone about it. Like until Did you how were your parents? I mean did you No. Like no one. Wow. Yeah. So like kept it to myself for three years and then we were playing a game at Nipissing against my brother 
and I broke my hand the second time that season. It was like season was over after that. There was no way I was coming back from that and playing in my last year. So that was kind of that was that was tough. That was like my last year of the one thing that I worked my hardest in my life, and no more. Right. And it was just like like sure like volleyball was something that was big for me and everything. And it was it was this opportunity to leave this like depression and anxiety and sadness and loneliness. I could leave it at the door and just go in the gym, do my thing, be free for a couple hours and it was good. And then as soon as I broke my hand and my season was over, like I had no opportunity to do this anymore. That was the part that hit me the hardest. And again, I found myself in like this super hard time and dark time and didn't know what to do. This time I like reached out to a guy that I went to high school with and kind of told him everything. He was the first person that I ever told everything to. I was kind of just like after that I was like man like this is something that like people actually like talk about people go through I'm not the only one and it's nothing that I should be embarrassed about and since then I've kind of been more open about it and everything and it wasn't really until this video that like a lot of people knew like I could probably count on one hand how many people knew about all this stuff before that video like not even my parents not my brother not your parents no it was kind of just like like three or four of my closest friends that I had told it to and that was it and then um, after this I didn't video, that. yeah, after this video, like, I went home the night after I posted that video, and I kind of told my parents everything, and I told my brother everything, and then kind of after that, it was kind of just this outpour of messages coming towards me, just being like, man, I had no idea, like, why didn't you ever say anything, kind of thing. It was just like, well, like, this is why. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. wow. and so, what? How did you make the decision to to release that video? What? I mean, after, after not telling people for so long, mm-hmm. how did you make that decision? So it's actually funny. It was, uh, I don't know if you heard of Kevin Love. It's like an NBA basketball player. I probably should have, but... But, <laughs> but anyways, um, and he came Thanks up and talked about his anxiety and depression. Right. And I was, like, sitting at home one day and I was watching the interview that he had when he came out about, like, his battles with mental illness. And I was just like, man, like I thought back to when I was in like grade 12 and first and second year mm. kind of thing. I was just like, if I had known back then that there were people just like me going through the same kind of thing, it would have made it so much easier. So that's when I kind of thought like, I want to do something for that guy. Like I want to do something for the guy that could be younger than me, could be same age as me or whatever, that's struggling with the same things that I struggled with. So I had this idea, like what if I just created a video about my story? And that's when I talked to Jackie and we kind of had this big idea that we could make it like a documentary kind of style or like an interview kind of style right. and just like explain everything that's ever happened to me kind of thing mm-hmm. and maybe it'll help someone else so that's where the video came from right. and so you didn't do it you know to help you it was to help other people i mean or indirectly, a, indirectly uh, for sure it, for sure i get that. i didn't do it to help me i did it for the other guy like right. I, I wanted to help just one person with if I could help one person with that video then it made it completely right. worthwhile but indirectly like posting it it was kind of just like this huge weight lifted off my shoulders like I was able to be open about it with my family and mm. with my friends and it was just like it just made everything so much easier and you didn't have to explain it all the time you, exactly. you could just say you know like go watch, watch the video, video. Right. and that makes it so much easier yeah, too for sure well, that's really cool so I mean you touched on it a little bit but I really want to talk about stigma and stigma especially for in varsity sport and in all types of sport and especially for for men too so you know how did stigma affect your journey would you say and and where do you think that the stigma was coming from 
most strongly? For me personally, like, growing up playing sport, you often hear the term, you know, you can play through the pain, or you got to be mentally tough, and coaches kind of preach this, like, mental toughness during competition, like, nothing can phase you. And I guess that's kind of the thought process that I took out of it, like, if nothing can phase me in sport, why should nothing be able to phase me in the world? Right. So it was kind of that mentality I brought, like, play through this pain, like, play life through this pain, and be mentally tough through life kind of thing, and it's just, like, nothing should ever be too much for you, and that was kind of the perspective I took on it. And then, like, even in, like, film and media around the world and everything, like, males are always perceived as being super tough, and nothing can ever get you down kind of thing, or, like, life hits you, get back up. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like this, like, whole, like, being tough and being a man uh, perspective and this whole thing around masculinity that I kind of took towards it too and it's just like I just got to be a man and tough this out like this isn't a problem that I should have right right and yeah I guess that's and so that's why you didn't tell yeah so that's why I kept it to myself like I thought it was embarrassing I was just like I don't want anyone to know that I can't even handle myself when like yeah when I'm supposed to be a man and like taking care of the people that mean the most to me kind of thing how am I supposed to do that if I can't take care of myself right and I didn't want to be perceived as this kind of person that needed help right I wanted to be able to like perceive this person that yeah he's independent he can do it on his own he doesn't need any help right and it was kind of like that stigma like yeah I didn't want people to see me that way right and I mean I'm just curious because after releasing the video I mean you said that you got a lot of people who are reaching out to you so you know do you think that the stigma I, I, what what I've learned is that a lot of the times the stigma is very real in the world, but we also think in our heads, we come up that there's more stigma than there actually is. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Did you find that there wasn't as much when you started talking about it? Definitely. Right. I think a lot of it is in your head too. Like, like you said, um, as soon as the video came out, a lot of people like, actually it's funny. I remember right before I released the video, I was like sitting with one of my friends in my room and I was mm. just like, man, like I'm just worried about this, that people are gonna think this is an attention grab. Right. And I don't want people to take it the wrong way. Like I want this to help people. Right. And he was like, kind of like sat me down and walked me through the whole thing. And I kind of got, I guess this super anxiety about yeah. it. And it was just like, as soon as I released it, I realized like this whole stigma that I had in my head, like sure it might be there, but it's not there to the extent that I thought it was. Right. And it's like, especially I think recently, this whole stigma has been kind of talked about a lot and it's becoming less and less and it's still there. I feel like it's always going to be there and there's nothing we can do to completely eliminate it. But in creating dialogue about it and talking about it and creating these conversations, like people are becoming more aware of it. Right. I think like as soon as I posted that video, it became apparent like a lot of people are aware of this stigma and a lot of people understand like it's not right. Right. And it's, I, I find it interesting, too, because part of one of the symptoms of depression and anxiety is that, you know, your mind will tell you that, you know, it's it's not a problem or you're making it up or, you know, you shouldn't talk about it. And so, you know, it's 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 talking about how do we reduce the stigma in the world, but but also how do we learn that what the effects are of stigma on our brains as well. And as you said, there, there was probably a lot of people around you and, and now that you've been so open about it hopefully other people will be able to talk yeah. to you about it but you know sometimes even people that are really open even their closest friends won't feel comfortable talking about it and so it just shows 
the impact that our brains can have on, on not exactly. getting us to speak up about it, which, which I find really interesting. I think another part was like, I didn't want to be a burden on any right. of my friends. Right. It's just like, kind of had this feeling that, you know, everybody has stuff that they're going through. Yeah. I felt like my problem was just like, I'm sure there's people with like right. relatives that could be dying or something like that. And like, why do my problems have to take precedent over these right. problems? I didn't want to be a burden to anyone. Right. And as soon as I released this video, I had a bunch of people just like, you should have come talk to me. Yeah. Like, I would have been there for you. And it was just like, wow, like people actually care. Yeah. And that was, yeah, it was pretty cool to figure that out. Right. But I mean, also, I mean, obviously, if you have friends, they care about you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. It, but it's just when it's you're just feeling. It's just the way that your brain talks to you. Exactly. It's just like, yeah. Yeah, when you're feeling that way, even if you have a, a close group of friends and a loving family, you can still feel that you know, you're making it up mm-hmm. or whatever, which which is interesting to learn and important to learn about some of the symptoms of what yeah, depression are, right? So my next question is, you know, how did you how did you overcome this stigma and and what worked for you? And so you know, overcoming the stigma when you told your your friends for the first time, but also when you released the video. So yeah, like I think talking to my guy from high, my friend from high school when I broke my hand, that was probably the first time I realized that this stigma isn't as big as I thought it was. And it wasn't enough to make me come out about it or anything, but it was, ama- it was enough to make me want to at least talk to him about it. And then there were a couple other times where I guess someone just caught me in the right moment. Mm. It was just like, you don't look okay, like what's going on? And so because of that conversation, I was able to open up to someone else. Right. And that kind of made it like talking to more and more people and this group kind of got bigger and bigger. Um, it made it easier and then posting the video was like the end of all of it I was just like you know what like I'm just gonna put it all out there whatever the stigma is like it's all going out there and whatever happens happens the world's about to know me right right that's scary to do that yeah it It wasn't easy that's for sure no and so you know in in those individual kind of times where you told people you know as you said they caught you at a right time and was it a friend who said you know I noticed you have been, you know, are you okay? Was it those kind of conversations? Well, there was, there was one time, I can't remember when it was, it was last year or sometime right. where I guess I was just really quiet around the house. Right. Spent a lot of time in my room and not in the living room. And like my house last year was like four of our closest friends. Right. We were always hanging out with each other. And I guess there was like this week span where I kind of just like did my own thing. Yeah. Isolated myself from everyone. I guess I was just having a bad week or something. One of my housemates called me out on it. It was just like, like you haven't been yourself this week. What's going on? Right. And it was like, even asking that was just like, oh, like someone actually cares. Like mm. I can talk about this. And so we had this huge conversation and that was like another stepping stone. And it was just like, I realized like a lot of people in my life care and a lot of people in my life want me to be okay. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a stepping stone in that regards. Like people do want to talk about it. Right. I think too is... It's, it's something that's hard to just bring up in conversation, you know what I mean? If, unless someone asks and says, you know, are you okay? It's it's, it's tough to reach out and just be like, I'm not okay. Right, right. And and finding the right, I don't know, it's it's kind of random and just saying, I don't know. It, it's hard yeah. just to initiate that conversation unless someone asks you. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot easier. So, I mean, it's a good lesson and a good thing to learn for sure. Exactly. And so, you know, in the time before when you when you hadn't told your parents I mean did you ever did you ever see a therapist I mean did you did you access anything to 
get help? Um, when I was, when I first diagnosed with ADHD, I saw a therapist, but only about like coping methods for ADHD. Right, nothing right. about anxiety or depression. Right. I think in talking to my parents about it when I released the video, I think deep down they always knew. Right. And depression and anxiety, I didn't know this actually, but it's something that's like very genetic in my family, and a lot of um, people in my family suffer from it. You so didn't know that. I had no <laughs> idea. Um, but my mom came out and told me, like, yeah, like, there are a lot of people in your family that go through this. And I was just like, oh, well, I didn't even know that. Um, but that was it kind of... It would have been nice to know. It would have been nice to know a little while ago. It would have made things easier. But yeah. I think deep down, they always knew, like, we talked about when I was in high school, and, like, they knew something was wrong, and it was pretty apparent that something was wrong, and they would just have to, like, question me and question me and question me until finally I broke. And it was usually at, like, 3 in the morning or right. something when I broke and, like, opened up about it. And they said they always struggled when I went to school because they couldn't do that anymore. Right. And it was honestly when I went away to school that it kind of got worse and worse. And I think it was because my parents couldn't do that to me anymore and I didn't have anyone in my life that would, like, kind of beat me down until I yeah. cracked. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But did you find that when people... Was that useful when people kept asking you? I mean, it was pretty annoying. I bet it was. Yeah, I bet yeah. it was. Uh, it, it was annoying, but looking back on it now, I appreciate it. Right. Because who knows if they would have just left it and been like, oh, he says he's fine, he's fine. Like, who knows what would have happened. Right. Because it's hard, too. I mean, when you are trying to talk to someone and they don't feel comfortable yeah. talking about it yet, I don't know what I don't know what you're supposed to do, right? Exactly. You know, I guess being annoying sometimes works. Sometimes but works. No, that's interesting. So, I mean, we, we've already touched upon this a little bit, but how, how can we change the conversation around men's mental health, you know, both in sport and otherwise, in order to end the stigma? I think in sport, the one thing that spoke out to me most, I mentioned it before, was Kevin Love, but there are a lot of professional athletes coming out recently, and that's, that's what kind of geared me towards making this video, but it was, uh, there are a couple NBA players, NFL players, NHL players, a lot of people are coming out and speaking up about their mental illnesses, right. and it's like a ripple effect, you know, it kind of right. goes down the chain. I think it kind of, it's kind of something that goes from the top down. Like, if you get these celebrities and athletes or actors and actresses mm. or politicians coming out, speaking up about their mental illness, mm. it's easier for the next guy to talk about it. Like, for me personally, I never would have been the first person right. to do this. But I see these people doing it and making an impact, and it's like, it just makes it easier for myself. And did you find that it was made more of an impact because it was from someone that you, you know... Do you have deep respect for? Yeah, or, exactly. Right, right. And someone like you look up to. Like, right. These athletes, so many little kids look up to them right. as role models and everything. Yeah. Like you hear kids saying, like, I want to be like Sidney Crosby right. or yeah. something like that. And if like their idol comes out and speaks up on their mental illness, maybe that kid is likely to speak up about his right. mental illness. Right. You know, like you hear the term, like, I want to be like Mike. Right. And that was Michael Jordan was huge. And it's just like, well, I want to be like Kevin or something like that. Right, right. And so. You know, I, I think that, as you said, I mean, that has a huge impact in terms of long term, uh-huh. you know, what, how can we keep the conversation going? You just need to keep it open dialogue kind right. of thing. Keep talking about it and keep like, like Jack.org is a good foundation for raising awareness for mental health. Mm-hmm. And it's like these things like this, like Movember used mm-hmm. for mental health now. And it's these kind of campaigns that get people talking about it. And I think that's the direction it needs to go. Mm-hmm. And how about, I mean, especially for men, there's this, I think for everyone in university, there's this kind of fear of, 
being vulnerable because you know when you're when you're talking about something you you're, you can be in a very vulnerable position and so you know how do you think that we can overcome this especially within men because you know we want to be strong and whatever and always having things figured out I mean I think, I think for men it helps with men talk like other right. men talking about it right and if you hear like if you were to hear another guy talking about mental illness and all of his struggles, like it would help you feel a lot better. Yeah. And it's just kind of that ripple, like that ripple effect, like right. I said before. Right. Cool. Well, that's all my questions. Do you have anything else to, to say? Cool. Cool. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude, no worries. Hey there. We hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Did you know that this podcast was produced in collaboration with one of the oldest radio stations in the world? CFRC is a campus radio station located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory in Kingston, Ontario. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast network was kindly provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to check out other podcasts in our network, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.